Hey guys, Tim Wells here for episode number two of the Sorry for Not Apologizing podcast. Now, I put off this episode a few extra days. I was going to release it last Friday on May the 25th. It's currently May 30th for me, or whatever day it is for you when you listen to it. But I was going to release it on Friday, uh, and then of course there was a school shooting at Noblesville West Middle School in Noblesville, Indiana, very close to home. A town I was just in the night before at a Jimmy Buffett concert at the Ruoff Home Mortgage, whatever it's called. What a long, stupid name that is now. But I was going to release it. didn't feel like it was right. I didn't want to make a day about me, about promoting something I, I do and I love to do uh, during a time where you know people were shot up and we weren't sure if people in our community were going to survive or not. It just didn't feel right. And people needed to rant and do their thing. And I didn't want to be the asshole who posted his podcast. It's funny, but it's not funny. Because the day I released my first episode, so May 18th, um, probably, I didn't even realize it was going on, but I released it during the Santa Fe shooting. And I remember uh, I was talking to some buddies, and I was like, what are the odds I post my episode during a school shooting? And one of my friends, he said, statistically, they're pretty good. I took it as a joke at first, and then I got to thinking, damn, that that's pretty true and unfortunate. Dude, it's fucking ridiculous at this point. It's upsetting because I knew one day would happen close to home. You know, I just knew you knew it was going to happen. It happens every day, it seems like. I don't have the answers. I don't. I'm not going to pretend I do. But I don't need to have the answers. It's not my job. It's clear, though, we need to do something about mental health and getting these kids the help they need before it even becomes close to a, an issue. I don't know if, it's, if parenting's too soft nowadays. I don't have the answers. I'm not going to try to sound like an old baby boomer who you know, bashes our millennial, the millennial parents for the way they raise their kids or whoever's raising these fucking kids. I don't know. Whatever generation that is. But it's clear to me that we need a, at least uh, to up security at these schools. Metal detectors, maybe. And it's clear that there's got to be a, a continued conversation on guns. I don't know what that narrative should be, but it seems like some parents care more about defending the Second Amendment than protecting their own kids. They'll rather argue their point regarding a law that was created in the late 1700s where all we had was muskets and scurvy. Fucking stupid. And these incompetent fucks on both sides of the political spectrum would rather chalk their dong to the thought of Roger Goodell signing a rule that disallows kneeling before the national anthem instead of protecting their kids. Protecting the kids. Oh well. We will forget about it, stuff our fat fucking faces with ice cream. Watching a meme will jerk off to Olivia Newton-John in the 1978 classic Grease. Or is that just me? And then another shooting will happen. It's the same song and dance. It's just repeat. Because this is America. And that is what we do. Jason Seaman. The science teacher who protected those kids and took three bullets to the forearm, the hip, and the abdomen. You, sir, Jason Seaman. Shout his name. You are a hero. Your name is the one we should be praising. Uh, and I don't mean any disrespect, Jason, but in a way, I wish you weren't a hero. 
because I wish you were never put into that situation in the first place. Because Jason, you deserve better. Ella, the other girl who got shot, she deserves better. We all deserve better. Jason, if I ever run into you, I'd be honored to buy you a beer. Now, before we get started with the interview, um, I just want to thank Caleb Cox, who I did interview. I know we're, I know that's kind of a weird transition, heavy stuff, but this was a great interview. Caleb was fantastic. He's a, a good friend of mine. I've known him for a long time, and I, I've never actually had to sit down and really get to know him like I did in the, during this interview. Such a good dude, and he, he talks a little bit about mental health, and this was recorded before any of this shooting happened, and he makes some really solid points on dealing with bullying and things of that, and that he just has an interesting life, his life as a walk-on. So I'm excited for you guys to listen to this episode number two of Sorry for Not Apologizing, coming up next. Sorry for Not Apologizing with Tim Wells starts uh, right now. All right, we are live Episode number two for Sorry for Not Apologizing with Tim Wells, featuring today uh, a guy I've known for a long time, Caleb Cox. Caleb, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Appreciate and, you yeah. uh, bringing me out. Caleb, uh, he's a general manager for Cruz Pedregon. Pedregon. <laughs> I already, I already, I already <laughs> messed it up. We talked before. I already messed it up. Cruz Pedregon Racing. Um, how long have you been there? This will be year six now. Year six. Already. Wow. Already. Well, Caleb, I'm super excited to have you on. I mean, I you know I feel like we've known each other for a while, but we haven't really talked like face to face a yeah. whole lot. Yeah, we've known each other, you know, way back in high school. Um, I think Neil was kind of our mutual friend, and obviously we played football together for maybe a year or so. And then, uh, well, you play football. I, I played football. I, I watched. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, it's that's kind of the first time I ever really was any type of interaction it wasn't even a direct interaction mm-hmm. uh you so your last varsity game was my first i dressed uh it was second round of sectionals for the ben I, davis game against yeah. ben davis um the reason that i remember that so well is because you have the probably the most passionate speech i've ever heard and i played sports a long time growing up that's the only speech i ever remember mm-hmm. like the only one yeah i mean football was has always been and will always ever be a huge passion of mine and you know that was what i thought was my last time ever playing football. Um, I had played Brownsburg football ever since 1995 all the way till 2009. So I thought, you know what, this is it. I don't have any scholarships on the table. I don't have any schools looking at me. This could be it. So, you know, and I'm going to tell everybody in here that I'm going to go out here for these last 48 minutes of this game. And if I die out there, just drag me off the field because that's what I want to do. Right. And from my perspective – Thinking back uh, in, in a comedic way, I'm thinking at the time I'm like, "Wow, we're about to come back. We're down like 35-3. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're about to we're about to win this guy. He just fired up the whole squad. We're gonna go out there and kick Ben Davis's ass." Uh, and I, what was the score? It was like forty five ten, like forty two to fourteen <laughs> or something like that. It was, you know, uh, I think our coaching staff had a lot to play into that. You know, you know how I feel about that. We don't you, have to get into. <laughs> trust me, you. I feel about the same way you do. There's yeah. There's a lot there, and if you want to get into it later, we can. Maybe we will. Well, I do have high school slated on to talk about <laughs> later. Uh, but so, Caleb, <coughs> I don't want—I don't mean to put you on the spot. This yeah. is a little controversial, mm-hmm. but I want to bring it up anyway. Um, that's what these are for—to talk yeah, about, absolutely. bring up a conversation. So let's talk about it. Um, 
Wheat bread, in or out? I'm a big fan personally. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? I'm a, I'm in. Love it. See, the whole world's against wheat bread. They're like, oh, it's all about white bread. I'm like, okay, you're talking about added carbs, unnecessary uh, you know, crust, not great. But good toast it, a little bit of uh, peanut butter, a little bit of jelly. I'm in. Okay. That, right. is a, that is a power snack, especially on the road. Dude, my man. I, that's why I want to get out of the way because you want to get the most controversial things out of the way Absolutely. immediately. So let's let's move on from that weird transition. <laughs> Why I brought it up, it popped up in my head uh, for no reason. So, Caleb, let's talk about the beginning of your life growing up. You know, we're from the same community. Mm-hmm. I don't try to bring people that I just happen to know from Brownsburg. When I think about my podcast, when I originally started this, I'm thinking about people who I find interesting. And I'm not trying to kiss your ass here. There's like four people from my hometown that I think have inspired me in some way. You're definitely one of them. I mean, it's easy to think about the Gordon Haywards of the world. You know, even you know Mark Titus, um, <laughs> Mark, Mark the Titus. Shark, Mark uh, the Shark. Who else? For, who else am I forgetting? Uh, you know, Tucker Barnhart, Tucker. guys who made it to the yeah. pros um, and athlete. You know, athletically in a way you did. Uh, as, as far as racing is concerned, but you've always been one of those guys, a very driven individual. We'll get, we'll we'll get to some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, your story. But seriously, it means a lot you're here because uh, you are just one of those guys that I'm, I'm really inspired by. Um, so I'm going to get that ask the kiss ass <laughs> brown nose out of the way. Um, so let's talk about growing up. So growing up in Brownsburg, like I said, we're from the same community. Mm-hmm. You know, for you, what was growing up like? Uh, like explain what was your family like, uh, things like that. You know, it was uh, I, I was born and raised in Carmel and uh, Clay Terrace area. And I moved to Brownsburg in 95. And... What I remember from Brownsburg back then was there was one Amoco station, which is the BP now, and there was one stoplight. Um, I actually went to Bethesda from kindergarten all the way up until fifth grade. Um, and then I transitioned to Brownsburg for uh, start playing football. I mean, I played football from 95 on uh, family life. My dad's from Brownsburg, my grandmother has lived in Brownsburg for more than 50 years. So Brownsburg's my home. You know, some people like it, some people don't. <laughs> I say, hey, if you don't like it, go somewhere else and see see what other other places are like. Um, but no, I love the town. I love the people in the town. Um, it'll forever be my home. I'll have a house here forever. And my kids right. will probably go to Brownsburg High School. And I'm, I'm going to stay there. Yeah, and we're both Northsiders, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're both Northside Brownsburg. Represent... Um, Absolutely. Always the farthest away from the fun stuff. <laughs> Everyone lived on the south side. Yeah, everybody lived on the south side. So growing up, I, you know, I never had gas because I was always constantly going to the south side. All my friends lived behind the high school. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. But also, you know, growing up, you know, you mentioned your family. Like, so tell me about your family. Like, parents, do you have any siblings? No, I'm an only child. Um, uh, both my parents, dad graduated from Brownsburg High School back in, uh, back in the 70s. And my mom's from Terre Haute. So... Uh, they've always been around. Um, my grandparents have lived in Brownsburg forever. Um, my other grandparents lived in Terre Haute, which is the ISU connection. We'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, normal, simple life. I'm kind of a, uh, kind of want to get into this later, but like the perception of me, I don't know how really people saw me growing up and how they really thought about me, but I think this is a good platform to see that I'm completely different than anything else that, that, you know, that people would have thought that I'm really like, I'm not, I wouldn't say like, I, 
being the football player, I, I didn't think I was never a star football player or anything like that. Um, or I would say in that class of the, the popular people. Right. <laughs> I, I was never, I was more shunned away from that than anybody else. And, you know, I wasn't a typical high school guy. I'm kind of got, I kind of got social anxiety. I don't like to be in huge places or with environments that I can't control. So my entire like high school life was football or school training football go home and kind of be by myself that's kind of what i like to do i only hung out with a couple people outside of school like tommy wood and stan Deli and a couple other friends but man i really never got outside of that i'm wasn't really down or in in for that i kind of like to keep by myself for a little bit you know growing up it was weird man i was i was picked on and bullied a lot which is very a lot of people when I say that is very surprised. When when was this? Mid, uh, like mean, high school, uh, middle school? I doubt high school. You know what? High school a little bit. Um, high school and middle school, and a lot in you know growing up, kind of end of Bethesda, early. I went to Eagle Elementary, kind of through there. Man, I was I was I was bullied a lot. But I'd say sixth grade through about ninth. Wow. And a lot of you know it was just like i don't even it's hard to put it in the words it's kind of like you know not just people making fun of appearances and and how i acted and how i uh, carried myself and you know i had my own style growing up yeah i was i was a kid that wore baggy jeans flat bill hats and and big jordans with the tongue sticking out of them but you know what that's how i wanted to be that's how i carried myself and because i don't conform to anybody else's ways that you know i was picked on and then you know it it drove me uh, it drove me to kind of prove people wrong in one aspect of saying hey man i can be whoever i want and do whatever i want and that's what i'm gonna do and then there's another part where man it it hurts deep and, and i do kind of care about other people's opinions but as i've grown up to the point that i am now it's just like hey man i'm gonna do what i want and I'm going to prove to you that, guess what? You can be whoever you want in right. this world. And, and that's what I try to tell kids when I go out to – I've been invited to a couple schools to go talk to these kids. And, man, don't don't bully, don't pick on people just because they're different. Because you know what? That person right there might be the next leader of the free world. Yeah. You don't know that. Yeah, and – you know, sixth through ninth grade, that's kind of like the prime bull. I mean, I, I can totally relate to that, man. Yeah. Like, I went through it um, for a couple of reasons. You know, I've always been, you know, chubby, like, mm-hmm. my whole my whole life. Uh, sixth grade, I almost transferred schools. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I was at West, uh, Brownsburg West Middle School, and they were – all my friends went to East from, you know, fifth grade to sixth grade transition. Yeah. I didn't have any friends uh, for, you know, probably the f- first few months. I just didn't know how to make friends because I already had my friends from my neighborhood. You know, and these kids were brutal, man. I think they still are, just in a different way. People are always reinventing ways to bully. So I think you're spot on. And I think if people, if they really have a, a problem, especially now, mm-hmm. especially as adults, if people really have a problem with how you act, how you dress, the way you talk, um, maybe they're the ones that really need to be, you know, looking in the mirror. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I, it, it, The way I talk to it now is, you know, if you got a problem, come tell it to me and let's discuss it. Let's yeah. don't you don't have to say anything behind my back or anything, but 
it's re- I think it's really hard to have a problem with me. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty nice. I'm always respectful. And yeah, I just try to be normal uh, as normal can be. Well, well, you mentioned earlier how, uh, you know, people not, people might not know you or how you act. They might have this mm-hmm. vision of you already. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, we haven't talked a lot in person, maybe a, a few times. Yeah. So in my head, you know, you I always think back to that speech. So in my head, you're this intense guy, very mm-hmm. passionate individual. Um, and we probably haven't talked. I mean, it's probably been a couple of years yeah. since I've seen you yeah. in person. Um, and you're, you're like, you know, soft-spoken, sweet guy, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, you know, it, it, you know. But I have my I have my moments, definitely sports-wise. Well, when, when, I, when it's something that I'm doing, I'm going to be super passionate about football that was my life that was my love racing is also my love so there is a lot of intensity there's a lot of passion but away from that i'm just i'm you're like you said i'm soft-spoken i'm quiet i have the tendency to be shy but my appearance gives off of one of those you know thuggish type kids because i wear flat bill hats i wear baggy jeans I wear, you know, what people have this misconception of until they meet me. Um, I remember I've been working for Cruz for six years now, and I saw something on, like, the racing forms, the form boards, boards, and uh, (laughs) something about this this cocky MMA fighter kid that works for Cruz. And I was like, cocky MMA fighter? I have, like, a three-in-one record. I'm not cocky (laughs) at all. I fought amateur. And it's just like you know, people that just make all these misconceptions. I'm like, come talk to me. It's got, it was because of your nickname, the Showtime. Yeah, the Showtime nickname, which I got in high school. Yeah, I I remember we were friends. Uh, Xbox Live. That was your gamer tag. It was like yeah. 48, right? Yep. 48, because that was the high school number, and then I changed it to 43 because of my college number. Right, right. So, okay, back to high school football, yeah. and then we'll move on to yeah. the rest of your life where you where you came to be. So high school, so first of all, where do you get your competitive edge from originally? Man, my competitive edge, I think it was just growing up loving football. Um, My grandparents and my parents have had season tickets to the Colts since 1984. Since the beginning. Since the beginning, since day one. Um, I attended my first game when I was nine months old in 91. And from then till... Probably my sophomore year of college, freshman year of college, I never missed a home game. That's preseason, that's playoffs, and I went to a Super Bowl. So I love the game of football. And then high school, I was like, that's all I wanted to be was a professional athlete. I dreamed of being a professional football player. I dreamed of being a Hall of Fame football player. And then, you know, the work that it takes to get there genetics weren't necessarily on your side no I, i'm <laughs> six foot i think my senior year was 180 pounds 185 pounds playing middle linebacker that's kind of not your typical size right. i'm not fast i'm not strong <laughs> i'm not i'm not super athletic but i'm smarter than you on the football field and i am technically good and that's it sounds cocky but every time i step on the field i guarantee you I'm the best player and it showed by the way I hit people. And I was told this by multiple players on different teams and even our own players. They couldn't believe how such as I would say small lanky guy I was, 
but how hard I would hit you. I, I'm not a Montez Robinson who went to Avon, who ended up playing for Georgia, who was 6'4", 260, playing defensive end, who would hit people. But I would I would turn your lights out if I needed to. I remember uh, this was after you graduated high school. I remember like the next year, uh, legendary Brownsburg High School coach, Coach Comer, he would, he would brag about you. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, but it'd be funny because it's almost like he was putting you down. He's like, Caleb, he wasn't, he wasn't big. He was, uh, he couldn't, he couldn't lift worth shit. <laughs> you know, he, I mean, I, I'm sure you could though. But I, I just remember him like always kind of like demeaning you going back to what he had heart. Damn it. And that, that guy did things. Um, and that's kind of like the funny part of that. Uh, just how he kind of put you down. <laughs> just that, to- That's my whole relationship <laughs> with him. And it's me and Jamie, me and Jamie have been cool forever yeah and then jamie was jamie it's whatever but brett man he to to me my personal opinion now almost 10 years removed was not a great coach yeah the guy that turned me into a man in high school was brian niece the strength coach because niece pulled me aside he saw how much heart i had and he goes hey i want to invite you to this club that only me, Tom Wood, Jamie Comer, and John Muth were invited to. It's called the Monster Club. And for every day for six years, or for uh, two years, me, us four would work out with Nice from the end of seventh period, which I think was like 3.30, till about 7.30 at night doing all strength men training. Now, I was not, let's say my squat max was like 3.15 in high school, but... I could yoke walk 600 pounds. Wow. I could duck walk 330 and then take a 150-pound sandbag and run it across. So were my big three numbers great? No. But was my all-around strength good because of Coach Nice? Absolutely. I mean, I think I showed up on the field, especially when people talk about how hard you hit. Absolutely. But the stuff with Comer, it's just like I, I can remember back to different things that he told me. Like the, the speech during the Ben Davis game. After we had lost that game, he comes up to me on the field. I'm expecting a, well, something, a a congratulations on a great career or something like that. And the only thing that he told me was, why didn't you say that after the Avon game? (laughs) I couldn't believe that. And then I went to, during that offseason, before my senior year, I went to uh, Southern Illinois camp trying to get looks trying to get because i want to play in college right i want to go play college football so i come into the weight room with an um southern illinois t-shirt on and jamie goes to illinois state he comes he comes up to me and goes why are you wearing that t-shirt in here and i basically said because i can and he goes is that the way you want to talk to me and this is jamie no 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 this this is is Brett. brett i'm just like Whatever, man. So fast forward to the end of the career. I don't even want to talk about his recruiting stuff. You know how he's he got Chris all his looks. Chris Jones, who's now in the NFL, he got Christy all his looks. Man, he didn't recruit anybody in my class. And I'll put that out on record. He didn't recruit. You, you got five guys that played college football. Two of them got NFL looks. You had me... You had Tom Wood, you had Noel Mallory, you had Sean Shepard, you had Chris. Sean and Chris both got to play in the NFL. Right. Not a single one. Never 
cut us recruiting film, none of that. But, you know, it's... <laughs> but he always put off that persona. You know, I, I groomed these kids. I care about them. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get them to where they want to go. His, his best effort for me was some Division three school that I've never heard of before. And he goes, oh, um, I told him you'd be, you'd be an okay DB. I said, all <laughs> right, man. So when I told him I was going to walk on at ISU, he told me, so you want to be a tackling dummy for the rest of your career? And that kind of, at the end of my senior year of high school, that lit a fire under my ass for the rest of my college career. So I mean, I haven't talked to the guy, and I, I think I saw him like once three years ago. I haven't, I haven't talked to him since high school. Yeah, I don't care to. I don't like him. My dad never. I mean, the stories I have personally. That was after I played. He, he just. I'll give him this. He was there for me when my parents divorced. Mm-hmm. You know, I will say that about him. I'm not gonna dispute that um but anything after like, two, like between 2010 2012 uh it, it was ridiculous and i wasn't the best player you know I'll, I'll be honest you know i thought i could have played some legit varsity you know my junior and senior year, just whatever for whatever reason didn't work out mm-hmm. um but not just him the coaching a lot of coaching staff man like we i so i don't want to directly compare this but that the school shooting that happened last week mm-hmm. um one of the kids they interviewed was talking about the shooter and why he did what he did. You know, he was talking about how he was bullied by his high school coaches, by these coaches. Um, in, a, in a sense, I can relate to that. I'm not going to compare that directly. Because yeah. um, I, I have so many accounts where I'd be walking down the hallway, and I'm not going to name his name because, you know, it was seven, eight years ago. Um, it, it wasn't Comer, but a coach, you know, he would, he would just look at me and just call me a pussy in the middle of the hallway. You know, that was the, the nature of that environment. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't say that. There's some coaches that I thought did a great job right. for me and helped me groom to become a better, not just a better football player, but a better person. But then there were some that I thought that, you know, really had no business out there. Oh yeah, with us. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to talk all day about high school football, <laughs> but um, you know, so I'm I'm notorious. Uh, me and four of my friends, we made a fake <laughs> Twitter uh, senior year of high school. And this is a big buildup because I ended up quitting uh, after my junior year. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't take anymore. I had two injuries. I had, I uh, I broke both my legs, um, not severely, but I couldn't play for a few months. Mm-hmm. And we were it was during summer training, and you know I was I have these doctor notes. I, I couldn't I couldn't sprint or anything like that. Like I was I'm re, I was in rehab um, for my legs, and I was doing some side thing side conditioning with Mr. Nice. Yeah. Um, out on the field, this is like one of those 7 a.m. workouts. And I get done, and I'm, I'm walking out to the, the practice field, and Comer lo- looks at me and says, there's no there's no walking on my field. Fully aware of my situation and that I can't run, I, I really couldn't even legitimately run, and he made me do sprints for a few minutes because I, I walked on the field because I was medically told. Well, I'll, I'll give you one final high school story about this. Okay. Well, junior year, um, we are going – so – Junior year, we played uh, uh, Zionsville, and this is where like like my notorious problems are my shoulders. Right. So I hit the running back from Zionsville, and my shoulder came out. So I lay on the ground. It rolls back in. I'm all right. Okay, I'm good. So now it's every play, every play. Now both shoulders are coming out every play. So I'm tackling, making a tackle. 
falling down and my shoulders going in and out. <laughs> so I do this for two more games. And then after, after Fisher's said, man, I got to go get this thing checked. So went and had an MRI and everything and got cortisone shots and this. And I'm like, I kind of told Brett right before I said, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to play in the sectional game. These things keep popping in and out. And he said he had some kind of derogatory comment to me because I was sitting in the training room and I was kind of crying because I'm like, man, I'm not going to be able to play against Ben Davis. That's when they had Marquise Gray, Tandon Doss, these big name guys. I'm like, you know, I can compete with these guys. And he said something to me like, well, that, oh, I, you're not something like, man, I don't even something enough to piss me off to the point where I don't care what I do to my body. I'm going to be on that field just to prove you wrong. And I ended up in the locker room before the Ben Davis game. And I took like 30 something Advil (laughs) just to make sure that I couldn't feel anything that my shoulders did. And I went out there and played that game and just wrecked myself. And I, my shoulders, it took almost an entire year for me to build strength back up into my shoulders. I still have shoulder problems and I always have, have and will will have them but it's just like little things like that like come on man just right i i give my body up use i give my body up for you and you got nothing nothing helpful uh, it's the to tell me. Well, for you is like the literal sense of leaving it all out on the field yeah which you know they throw around those the cliches about that but that was true literally you yeah. gave it and that's what i've always admired about you um but yeah man i that guy, I, I, I just never. He, I think he he forgets that at the end of the day we are kids. Correct. If it's college, I can understand that because my college coaches, I, I never heard a nice comment in four years. But high school, high school's fun. High school's supposed to be the funnest time of your life. College is a business. Right. And in high school, you know, you're going to battle with your the kids you grew up riding bikes with. Exactly. Um, and these coaches, you know, you've known for years. And they're supposed to be these fatherly figures uh, to help you with maybe outside problems that maybe you can't go directly to your parents for. Yeah. You know, and sometimes they, and the certain coaches we had would treat you like, like this is the NFL. You're just another, yeah, you're just, just like another, another kid. You're another body. Yeah. Do you, uh, I, I get maybe trying to motivate people, and I'm not like trying to be all, uh, you know, millennial and mm-hmm. soft about it. But there's some things I look back on, like that wasn't right. Yeah. Um, one last story. We'll move on. And yes. This is this is. I'm, I'm not going to mention names. Uh, just because it's not it's not important. We, although we did trash Comer <laughs> quite a lot. Um, so my junior year, you know, we're wrapping up a practice. We're doing conditioning. I forget what it was called, but they were. Uh, you would like rotate different drills. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, but there was one drill. Uh, you know, the ladders. You get your knees up. You run across the ladder. Um, and I was already having a tough day of practice. It was just one of those days. It seemed like nothing was going right for me. And uh, I'm in the conditioning uh, group, and I'm with, I'm just with all the other kind of top players on the team. Yeah. I was not a top player, so <laughs> I just did not fit in. Um, but I'm like the last one uh, to do the ladder, and I, I get to the last one, and my cleat gets caught on the last rope, and I just it snaps everything. It breaks the entire rope. Uh, and then the certain coach looks at me and just starts cussing me out, calling me lazy and fat piece of shit, uh, and, and things like that, right in front of everybody, and m- made me look so silly because he said I did it on purpose, that I just didn't want to c- 
condition, <laughs> which, you know, subconsciously might have been true. But yeah. I, no, but I, like I would go out of my way to, to, to do just, that. To ruin the drill, no. Yeah. And then, like, I didn't cry, but, man, I, 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 that really got to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I... It's, th- it's things I look back on. Maybe I, that's why I am the way that I am. I try to use humor as much as I can mm-hmm. uh, for situations like that. And I don't know, man. That same coach, a couple a couple weeks later, it was like one of the last regular season games of the year. Um, I, had, I had pneumonia, so I was out for a couple weeks. I missed two practices that week. I got back for Thursday um, to suit up. And we're I think we're playing Harrison, and they were horrible that year. Yeah. Off, just got off. We're up like 55 nothing. Um, so all the backups start coming in. Um, and I was pretty, I feel like for the most part, I was pretty beloved at the school. The entire student section starts chanting my name. Put Tim in. Put Tim in. I'm getting excited. Like, yes, I can, like, people are behind me. Um, and then that same coach looks at me. He's like, yeah, you're not coming in. You're not coming in. You haven't earned it. You haven't been here. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we're up by 55. Yeah. Um, the freshmen are in. The freshmen are, I'm not junior at the time. He's like, I don't care. We don't want you out there. <laughs> so that was kind of my whole experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I ended up quitting. I just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah, I, I, I wanted it. I was very competitive. I worked out all the time with Mr. Nice. I was pretty strong. I got pretty strong, ready to go for senior year. And hindsight's twenty twenty. That was seven years ago. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. But yeah, thank you for, for coming on, for letting me vent yeah, <laughs> about <yeah>. my issues. <laughs> We're talking through it, Caleb. Thank you so much. But this isn't about me. This is about you. All right, so moving on from high school, you were – you mentioned that the weight room story about mm-hmm. wearing the Southern Illinois shirt, and you mentioned how you're going to start the, to attempt to walk on. So, talk me through the process of deciding on Indiana State. So, I'd been looking at schools. I'd been looking at Division three schools. Mountain Union, who had won copious amounts of D three titles, um, Wisconsin Whitewater, who won a ton of titles, and then um, Wittenberg. And you know what? Something came over me that said, "Yeah, I'm probably not going to get a scholarship anywhere. But if I'm not going to play Division One or One AA, is it worth my time of playing?" So I kind of started looking at schools first, then football. Um, my mom had spent some time at ISU. My grandparents both went to ISU. So, and at that point, they were the worst football team. In the nation, that streak was like in the forties, wasn't it? It, it was, was fifty-three. Fifty-three games 53 without a win. Games without a win. They were the absolute worst. And I remember going to a, a recruiting day there with with some of the guys, and we had just beat Harrison, watched ISU lose like fifty-six to zero, and it, it was it was rough. So, you know, going into the off season of senior year, I'm like, all right, well, I'm gonna start telling these coaches hey i'm ready to walk on i'm gonna walk on um i just want to come out i want to play so i got a couple emails back okay well get your transcripts sent over this that and this and so i'm working out and getting ready ready to come into camp and sent my transcripts over well here's something else that i kind of blame brownsburg for is not preparing kids who want to play sports in college to inform them the different standardized test scores you have to have with your GPA. Now my GPA was fine. My GPA, I was always over probably a two, five student. Um, and my senior year I was threes and fours, but 
I have sort of a, I have a learning disability, so my standardized test taking skills aren't that great. Well, I turned my stuff in, and my essay I believe it was my SAT score, my ACT score was like two or three points underneath the, the Division One level, which does not allow you to be eligible to play an entire to play a year. So you're basically suspended by the NCAA. So the coaching staff told me this, said, sorry, you won't be eligible this year, but hey, next year, we got you. All right, cool. So my freshman year at Indiana State, man, I was in the rec center weight room working out every day, just emailing the coaches every weekend, every weekend, every weekend. And I got... 4.0 my first semester and 4.0 my second semester. I'm I'm in there. I'm ready to go. So this is freshman year at ISU. At ISU. And So you couldn't even play your that I entire play, first year. I, I couldn't It's not like the NCAA is now. I couldn't be with the team. I couldn't talk to the team. I couldn't go in the weight room. I couldn't do any of that stuff. Um my sophomore year, all right, camp is coming up. All right, I'm ready to go in. Well, we don't have enough. We're, we're already maxed out at players we can bring into camp. But um, the first time, come season one, or come game one, then our roster limit goes up. We'll let you come in. All right, cool. Well, didn't hear back. Now we can't let you back yet. I didn't get a shot to come in until week six of my sophomore year. <laughs> so you are, at this point, you are two years removed from playing any type of football. Correct. At least competitively. Correct. And you finally get your opportunity. So it's week six of your sophomore year. You know, what was that step like? I've never, it was like 15 or 16 or 17 years that I had never missed a season of football. And if you haven't played in a year and then you're going out there with Division One athletes, man, it's, it's a whirlwind. And then you got to catch up on playbooks and this and that. But, you know, I'm a walk-on. I'm... I'm nothing. Um, I remember my first pair of gear that that Bob gave me. I had a XL shirt and a double XL pair of shorts to work out in. So these and you're guys, not a double XL guy. Oh no! <laughs> and, and these guys are, you know, good players, very good players. And the coaching staff, you're walk on, you're a dummy. My position coach was actually the head coach for Cincinnati for 12 years and then defensive coordinator for Notre Dame for four or five, um, Coach Minner. But, you know, it was still that fire of playing football and, and getting there. And the, I'll wrap up the whole ISU football thing was I got cut four times or three times and brought back four because I kept telling – Coach Miles at the time. If you want me to stop playing football, you're going to have to kill me. I may never play it down for you, but my game will be Tuesday and Wednesday against the first-team offense, and I'm going to make sure I'm going to kick their ass every practice. I'm not the biggest guy. I'm not the strongest guy. I'm not the fastest guy. and But I'm going to go out there and come at you every single practice every single day i never missed a practice never missed a workout thanks to coach dave mcmanus our strength coach i was in there twice a day with him and then i found a 
great bond with me and Coach McManus and a bunch of other guys at ISU. But I ended up actually get to play my senior year. And, you know, I went out on my high horse, even though I was never going to reach that NFL <laughs> level. I got right. to – I can call myself a Division One athlete. Yeah. That, so. that, I love that story. I never heard it in full, but I kind of knew the gist of it a little bit. I mean, you're talking two years removed from high school football. Mm-hmm. And the difference between high school athletes and D1 athletes, you can't really compare them because D1 athletes, yeah, they're not technically you know NFL, but they're still, in, in a sense, professional athletes. Yeah. And the fact that you went through all of that and you're dealing with Coach Miles, I've talked to him a few times, intense guy. <laughs> Coach Miles is a super intense guy. And, and it's the walk It's not like the walk-ons are now. The walk-ons are now. You get the team gear. You get to eat team meals, this and that. As a walk-on back then, you were shunned from the team. You didn't get any work. I didn't get any workout gear until I was a junior. I didn't because I earned it. And I ended up being Bob, who's been the uh, the equipment manager for ISU for 40-plus years. Right. I ended up becoming one of Bob's favorite players because I never, I never quit. I was never going to quit, and I came to play and fight every single day. But I never got to eat with the team until I made the travel roster, which was my senior year. So there were even times when I first started, I'm not, I'm going to be on time. I'm going to live, eat and breathe this. I slept in my car out at the parking lot for a couple weeks in the back seat. I'm not going to, I'm going to be the first one here. I'm going to be the last one to leave. And it was just, just to play the game of football, not, not anything more just to, just to play the game that I love and wanted to continue to play. If everyone had that mentality, not just for, sports but it just in general i mean this world would be a hell of a lot better place if everyone worked to their fullest potential unfortunately we don't see that as much um so what separated you from i guess everyone else let's say like i uh, there's probably a couple guys in your class in brownsburg that are maybe more athletic that didn't you know excel mm-hmm. to the next level or even make it to the next level what separated i guess from you from your average person i think the only thing that separates me from anybody else is heart and passion is I think passion will get you anywhere. Um, if it's really a goal, if it's really something that you want to do, you have to have the mindset to go get it. You got to have the mindset to really want to work and give up whatever. That's like in high school, I never attended a party in high school. I never went out in high school. I never went out in college because I was so focused on school, football, football, school, and really. right. But that was my mindset. Everything else could wait. And I'm kind of still like that to this day. It's, I have, I'd say a max of 35 years to complete every single goal that I ever wanted to do in my life and be a professional athlete. And I'm still chasing that goal. I'm going to be a professional athlete sometime in my lifetime. I can save all that partying, relaxing, whatever, till when I'm retired, when I'm 60 and 70 years old. Then I can look back at my life and go, this is what I accomplished because of the work that I put in. And I try to tell that to these kids. Like I was telling you, I've been invited to um, a couple schools down by Cincinnati, still in Indiana, but it's like some of the, it's like the poorest County in Indiana. And a lot of these kids don't like either graduate high school and they definitely don't go to college. And my main message to them was, Hey, all you have to do is, have a dream and then work for it 
That's it. That's, that's as simple as it can be. If this is what you want to do, you have to focus your mindset on this. Everything else can wait. And I guarantee you, it'll still be there when you're done. But you got to be one track minded to accomplish anything that you want to in life. So you can prove to the world that you don't have to be born with a silver spoon in your mouth to show that your roads can be paved with gold. You just got to work and put everything, your heart, your soul, and your mind into what you want to do right here, right now. Yeah, I, I that's wonderful, man. I feel everybody has dreams, mm-hmm. but some aren't just, they're not willing to work for it. Um, like for me, a dream of mine has always been to entertain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I might not have had the major success yet, but I'm at least like putting myself in the right direction to attain those goals. Because you got to be obsessed with whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. To, to even have a chance at this. And, the, and that's the obsession uh, is the driving force to achieving those goals, in my opinion. Because uh, we all have desire to want to be great, uh, but I don't think everyone believes they can be great. But if you can match your belief with that desire, I truly think sky's the limit in this world. Uh, and like you said, I want to look back. Granted, I do party now. I, I, still, I, I, I do have fun time to get a little silly here and there. Um, but I, I'm like that. I want to look back, looking back at my life 40 years uh, into the future thinking, wow, I I achieved everything I set out to do. I was a better person. I inspired mm-hmm. others around me. And I, ho- I wish that was everyone's goal. Unfortunately, it's not. But that's that's one of the reasons why I mentioned earlier why you've always been that guy I think of when it comes to people from my, from my community that are successes. And you might not be like the top name, but that's kind of your life story, kind of like a walk on all through life. It's, uh, it's, you write a book. It's literally an underdog story, and I, I've been – thinking of, of writing a book for a long time because to compile all these stories of either Tyler walk walk on or always a walk on or something like that. It's just, it's that underdog mentality of, of I'll never be number one, but I'm going to fight scratch and claw to be number one. There was always a quote that I had in my car that I looked at every single day um, from Charles Mass Lewis, who was the original founder of tap out and he inspired me more than anybody else in this lifetime. And it's the, the quote said, um, through tenacity and patience, anything can be achieved if you simply believe. And I looked at that every single day and I still do. It's still in my car. And that's kind of how I live my life. If I believe it, I can go out and I'm going to achieve it. And that's what still drives me to this day being where I'm at right now. Yeah. And, exactly what you just said i feel like it's the cliches we're fed to as children but they're the the truest things yes we don't always believe it because we're constantly being told that and we never see results in our in our life or surrounded in our uh the world we live in because we're not surrounded by success necessarily correct um that's why i've always tried to draw myself towards successful people i always believe if you surround yourself with four successful people you'll end up being the fifth one so I think that's something you've done well in isolating yourself at times mm-hmm. because you know the outside pressures. They're just going to – because your goal was to play in college. Had you gone involved – you know, I was in a fraternity, but had you joined a fraternity, had you gotten into that lifestyle in college, you wouldn't have even had the chance because the, the outside pressures, they would have just brought you down and you wouldn't have been as focused to achieve those goals. And not just in college, high school, and what you're doing now, I mean – you're just one of those guys, like John Madden. He's one of those guys. 
that's always been an uh, extremely driven individual. And I'm glad you're talking to the kids. I shouldn't be the one talking to the kids because <laughs> I, I don't know. Me and kids don't get along well. Um, they freak me out because I'm afraid everyone looks at me. I'm a predator. Uh. <laughs> I put it on Facebook uh, like last week, but I was going out for a run and this little girl like, started running up to me and I just sprinted across the street. I did not want anything to do with her <laughs> because it was the middle of the day. I had a hood. On, I was wearing a hoodie. The whole thing just didn't look right. And you were looking for Chris Hansen in a van somewhere. So Tim, uh, what are you, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Uh, uh, nothing. <laughs> um, so yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Caleb, let's, uh, Let's move on a little past the college. This has been, uh, I, I fucking, for, sorry for the language, mom. I love this interview. This is going uh, absolutely swimmingly, not because of you, not because of me. <laughs> I, I, I'm not very good at interviewing, I don't think. <laughs> um, so after college, what are we, What were some of your career paths? Because I know originally I think you wanted to be a, an agent. I wanted to be is a that still a passion? I, I wanted to be a sports agent. I I was inspired by the movie movie Jerry Maguire. Of course. And growing up or going through college, Drew Rosenhaus was my guy. Yeah. He was the sleaziest sleazeball, <laughs> but he made he was the best agent for his clients, taking care of everybody, getting them exactly what they needed. And I ended ended college and still needed an internship to graduate. So this is kind of how we'll flow into this. So I was kind of past the deadline date and I was like, man, I can't find anything. So there was nothing in football. I sent letters to every NFL team, every CFL team and every AFL team got nothing but rejections back. So I was like, man, I'm just going to go home. I, I'm going to have to take like a semester off because the internship's a full semester. I'm just going to have to take it off and, you know, go home. So I did, and I ended up getting a job at Lowe's in Brownsburg working in uh, the lawn and garden section. So I'm kind of searching for things, and my dad's a huge drag racing fan. And as everybody knows, all the drag racing teams have moved to Brownsburg in the last 10 years. He's like, why don't you just send a resume over there, see what happens. Now, being a semi-drag racing fan, I said, sure, why not? It's it's sports sent it over there and uh got three rejections and then got one and hey would you come in for an interview and i said sure so came in and, and met cruz's assistant at the time she said the person that goes on the road with cruz is having a baby would you mind filling in for six months i said will this get my is it cool if i do this for an internship yeah sure so bam called back isu said hey can i have somebody on the board just to prove this so I can get this done and I can finish up my major and my minor at the same semester because I was majoring in sports management and I was minoring in marketing. Well, if I remember right, because my sophomore year at ISU, I, I think I remember seeing you around, yeah, like one or two classes left for like fall 13. Yeah. So like I was doing the internship, so I was working for crews and what I would do was I was still living at home. I would go out on the road Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and either red eye home Sunday or early Monday morning, get in my car and then drive to ISU for from night from Indy. Yeah, from Indy from night class on Monday and Wednesday. <laughs> and so I did that for an entire semester while racing, which was rough. Yeah, well, which was rough. If any, if nobody knows kind of like what our race schedule is, it's twenty four races a year, 
in 18 states, like 200-something days out of the year. So it is from coast to coast all over the place. So fast forward, I do the internship from May till November. Season's over. I said, thanks, Cruz. Thank you very much. I'm, uh, I'm out of here. Went back to ISU, graduated in December, and then I got a, I got a job doing what I wanted to do, be a sports agent. I get to work at a sports agency downtown Indianapolis. They have basketball players. They got NFL players. I'm like, this is it. This is what I want to do. Man, I spent a week in there. It is not what it's cracked up to be. Is it misleading? Super misleading. Super slimy illegal stuff that i kind of knew was about that life but i i didn't one thing i didn't want to be a part of that life because i felt like a lot of agents are they take advantage of people that's kind of the point of their job is to persuade people and then not really take advantage but kind of look out for their best interests and then their athletes best interests and the other part of that was I was missing the teamwork, camaraderie of being part of the race team because it felt like a football team again. Right. So after a week of that, uh, of working at the sports agency, I actually got a call from Cruz. And he said, hey, we're going to uh, West Palm Beach, Florida to go testing. Do you want to come with me? I said, sure. January in Brownsburg, Indiana or January in West Palm Beach, Florida? Yeah. I'll see you in Florida. Well, little did I know it was going to be 45 degrees in Florida all week. <laughs> so we went out there and went testing. And at the end, he pulls me aside and says, hey, my uh, my team manager slash general manager is, is leaving the race team, stepping away. Um, would you how would you feel about becoming and being in that position? And in my head, I'm like, who offers a 22-year-old kid a general manager position of a professional race team? And I automatically said, yep, I'm in. All right, cool. So six years later, we got a car, we got a sponsor, and we're still doing it. And you good. guys recently won. We, we won a couple weeks ago. It's our first win in four, three years and ten months. It's been a little rough stretch, but, you know, I think – Cruz, he's won some championships, right? He's won two championships. He's been racing professionally since 1991. Um, he's been racing over 30 years. Um, but hey, that's, I think I was the youngest general manager in NHRA history at 22. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, and I don't, I don't handle myself kind of like a normal general manager. I I don't wear polo shirt and slacks. You look like another guy in the crew. I, because I, I am, we're such a small company. We have, I'd say 15 total employees in our company and we have, 10 guys on the 10 guys including Cruz and myself on the road and you look at the other teams the bigger teams the John Force Racings the Don Schumacher Racings they have 11 to 14 guys on a car and sometimes me and Cruz got to go out there and get our hands dirty um, so I try to help out with the guys anywhere that I can whether it be mixing fuel doing parachutes doing all the safety gear helping um, separate the blower and the manifold um, that's I'm an athlete just tell me what to do. I just need to see it once and I <laughs> right. can do it over and over and over. So now it's become kind of a full routine that 
on top of my general manager and managing jobs is also helping on the car with the crew. So I do the job of about 12 people on other race teams, but I can multitask and it's fun and I get the job done and everybody has a good time in our hospitality events. So it's what I do. Would you have ever dreamed as a kid that you'd be in that position? I mean, granted, we did grow up right next to IRP and Lucas Oil Raceway in the strip. No, because it wasn't my dream. It was my dad's dream. My dad's dream was to be working on a funny car because he'd been to the U.S. Nationals every year since 1975 or 78, every year. Um, and he wanted to work on a funny car full time and kind of didn't get a, or, uh, let's see, he applied with Chuck Etchells, who was a racer back in the nineties. And I don't think he got the job, but he, that's right when I was born. So I don't think my mom would have let him go anyway. So now it's kind of come full circle and now I'm living kind of my dad's dream. So he gets to come out to all the drag races and hang out with guys that he's always looked up to, whether it be Cruz, John Force, um, Don Garlitz, any of these old school racers. And now it's like I'm friends with them and I know them and their numbers in my phone and I talk to them on a daily basis and he thinks that's kind of cool. So it's kind of funny how you do all these, all these things. And my dad was always the part. He's been a diesel mechanic for 40 years. He never wanted me to work on cars. He never wanted me to work on trucks because that's what he did. And to him, it's a rough lifestyle. It's a lot of probably not great on your body, hard work, long hours. And he never, he wanted me to go do something else. Cause he, he never attended college. He went to Lincoln tech and he's, I remember tell, him telling me before I went to college, he's like, wow, you get to do something I never got to do. And I thought that was kind of cool that my dad's worked so hard for him to, you know, make a better life for me and to push me past where he thought he could go. And now I'm to the point where I'm living my dad's dream, but now I want to take it one step farther. Not only do I want to run the race team, I want to drive the car. So that's the kind of, athlete point in my life where I'm at to next is going from general manager to driver. And in a sense, since you're living your dad's dream, but that probably was his dream Mm -hmm. in in a sense to have his son. Maybe, I don't know if he wanted you to follow in his footsteps. It sounded like he wanted you to be your own person, but it came full circle. That's pretty pro. That's very poetic. I I feel like, um, that's amazing. And as far as the racing is concerned, because I, I I know you I've known you wanted to pursue that. Do you do you have any plans in the future of taking to that next level of getting into the car, not necessarily behind? The Absolutely. Scenes? So I've started for the last three years. It's taken a little longer than I've wanted it to, but I'm pursuing my alcohol dragster license. So I'm working with Nitro University here in Indianapolis and running their alcohol car, which goes say 520s at 280 building up to get my license so i have a couple runs left i made a run a couple weeks ago um and then made a couple runs about a year ago got a couple more in that and then my goal is to drive for crews or with crews um he's been doing it for 30 years i don't know what his long-term plans are i know he wants to stay in the sport after he's done and retired um 
if I could be a driver for him, because that's how kind of he started out. He was a, he was a driver and then he built up his money and then become, became an owner. He owns everything we see. And maybe I kind of want to do that path is I would love to drive for the guy, but I'm also not looking for a handout. Right. If I'm not worthy of being a driver for him, that's fine. I'm going to find a way to get into a race car whether it be a nitro funny car, a top fuel dragster. But I think Cruz kind of sees in me the same passion that he had growing up because me and him are the complete same person. Just he's a couple, a lot of years older than I am, (laughs) but we're super competitive at everything. It doesn't matter if it's throwing a football to racing to whatever, super competitive at everything, but we are the exact same person so I would love to have him be the owner. Let me be the driver. Or if I could find sponsorship money to have a second car under his, I would, if I got $3 million from a sponsorship, I'd hand it right to him and say, Hey man, let me drive for you. Let me do whatever I can to help your race team, your organization, your business. That's my long-term goal right now. So that's what I'm thinking about for my future. And the cool thing. Your name is a cool name for racing, I feel like. Caleb Cox, an NTRA champion. I can see it. That would be nice. Caleb Cox. Uh, Caleb, I won't take up too much more of your time, um, but I am, I'm very curious. Um, what are the day-to-day operations like in a race team, especially the traveling? What's that like? Because um, it's got to be hard at times, just the constant traveling, you know, and then putting together uh, everything just to get ready for the race. It, it's it's tough and it's a lot of hands in a lot of places doing a lot of work. So the guys, it's a normal eight to five job for the team while we're at the shop. The guys will get the cars, trucks, trailers ready to travel each week. Um, me and our office ladies and, and crews will kind of help get the sponsorship stuff all together. So we put on a pit side hospitality. Uh, me and crews go out and do a meet and greet every Thursday um, and any other media obligations we can do, get him in front of a TV or, or a microphone and uh, let him talk to the media, promote some stuff. So I'm doing all that while, while getting more sponsorship for the weekend because obviously every dollar counts in racing. Um, but the hard work is, is, is the car. It kind of depends on kind of how the weekend <laughs> went. Could be a late late nights where the guys work 17, 18, 19 hours, and then would be a normal eight to five. But then we'll leave on a, a Wednesday, uh, more than likely on a Wednesday, kind of depending on where the race is. Drive there, set up. Me and Cruz, if it's within 10 hours or 12 hours of the shop, we'll drive, which is 75% of the races. And then everything else will fly out on Thursday. Go out to the track, set up. And then we have two qualifying runs on Friday, two on Saturday, and race day on Sunday. And, you know, depending on the weekend, depending on explosions, fires, good runs, bad runs, kind of depends on our workload, work schedule. That's a grind. It's it's a super grind. It's 200, 200 days on the road at least. And we've had some late hours this year where we wrecked a car in Gainesville on Friday night, and the guys – left the track at 5.15 in the morning, <laughs> and we're back at the track at 7 a.m. Just so we can go racing. It's already track. hard enough when things are going well, mm-hmm. when nothing goes wrong. And then as soon as like you wreck a car, something's not functioning correctly, 
you got to put in put in the work for that. Yes, and, but we we treat everything like football, so it's adapt, adjust, and overcome. So next man up, next man up, <laughs> figure out how to get it done, how to make it safe, and we'll get ready to race it and win. And that's what we do twenty four weekends out of the year, and I love it. Okay, uh, when's the next race? Uh, next weekend we're going to Chicago. We're going to Joliet. We'll race up there. It's uh, Snap-On's home track. So Snap-On's our, our primary sponsor. Um, they've been sponsoring crews since 1992. They've been the primary sponsor since 2010. So the CEO, Nick Pinchuk, and the president, Tom Kasuf, will be out there. I want to talk about guys that, you know, I love having conversations with. $4 billion company. Get to sit down and talk with the CEO and president on a – I get to talk to him bunch of times in a year that's that's awesome for a guy that like wants to learn what success is from somebody who's achieved that kind of success that that's cool but yeah we're going to Joliet and then we got a week off then we're four races in a row then a week off then like five or six races in a row but U.S. Nationals Indianapolis Labor Day weekend we're gonna have an open house the Thursday beforehand which is August 30th from five to eight so anybody in brownsburg area can come out oh, yeah. to the shop and we'll have race cars out there we're going to have a a team autograph session at like seven o'clock but there'll be food there'll be all kinds of fun stuff out there now i love ims i love indianapolis motor speedway in general mm -hmm. in this week's festivities but there's something special about that labor day uh, weekend at, at the national i worked it for years mm -hmm. uh three or four years out there and before that i was going every year i haven't gone out in a couple of years but now that i'm back in town i live here in india i have to Go back out there this year. IMS is cool. Cars that go 225 miles an hour for four hours are kind of cool, but there's nothing cooler than a car that goes 330 <laughs> miles an hour in less than three seconds. That's that. <laughs> you can't you can't beat that. Uh, almost done here, Caleb. Quick thoughts. Are you going to the 500 this week? I'm not going to the 500. Uh, me and Cruz are going to Carve Day for uh, some sponsorship stuff because the cool thing about Snap-on is the only two – people that they sponsor is roger penske and us so we're gonna go hang out with uh, roger and the penske boys on friday um i'll watch the race from home with my girlfriend and uh get ready for chicago and speaking of penske penske uh will power is probably the one guy who's got a cooler name than you i, I would will say. power has a very cool name that was almost like homer simpson's max power from, oh wow from the uh, hair hairdresser that's a throwback that is a throwback Okay, so you're not going the race. Do you follow I am uh, Indy at all? I, I try because there's a lot of drag racer and crew guys who go back and forth um, between working out there and then working with the drag racers. But I do have some friends that work out there, and then obviously we know the drivers like Graham Rahal, who's married to Courtney Forrest. Um, but yeah, we we follow. Me and Cruz love all forms of motorsports, dirt track racing, Formula One, IndyCar. Right. Okay, real quick predictions do you have any any dark horses you're the underdog is it throw an underdog if you if you, if you can think of one i, I don't was, think i could dark horses i'll give you two and um even though he's qualified number one ed carpenter he's got a fast car but can it last the entire race right two i would like to see connor daly win just because it's connor daly mm -hmm. and you know he's kind of cool um i'd like to see graham finish well but he's way back in the pack at like 30th. Yeah, he was slow all week. It, it's rough for them right now, but you got to also look out for for the guys that have done it. Alio, um, is Juan Pablo running? No, no. Good. That guy is 
guy's a douche. I never met him. He's a, he's a, not a nice person. He he kind of gave off that yeah, that vibe. That sweet Brazilian vibe. Even back, he's Colombian. Oh, Colombian, yeah. yeah. Wow, what a stereotype, Caleb. Whatever. All right. <laughs> I do jujitsu. My my prediction. Actually, this is my heart. My heart's telling me Danica Patrick. Give me Danica. She starts, I think, in the fifth row. Yep. Give me Danica. First of all, she's got to make sure Takuma Sato's not behind her because that dude is an aggressive driver yeah. and he will take out half the field. It worked last year. It worked last year. All right, Caleb. Um, also, I wanted to bring this up. Isaac Beverstock wanted me to mention this. Um, you bought all of the 43 jerseys. I know. I have State. both of his jerseys. He wants one. He just wants one of them. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're both signed and framed up oh on my, my wall gosh. right now. Sorry, Isaac. So, I tried. Sorry, Isaac. Um, they actually sold the jerseys that I wore, so I had to buy the next ones. So, Fair enough. Fair enough. First, first come, first serve. It was my, it was my number first. In all fairness, <laughs> he, he, Isaac did score three touchdowns. That's true. So I'm not trying to put you down. That's three more than you scored. At ISU, that's true. I had I had two opportunities to run a pick six back, and I did not do that. Uh, I called. I think I called one of your last games you played. It was when I first got into broadcasting. But another story for another time. Um, this you had the floor. Thirty seconds. Plug whatever you need to. What's going on with your life? Just remind people about events. Whatever you need. Yeah, you guys can follow me on Instagram or Twitter. Showtime forty three CC. Show you my life on the road for uh, for Cruz Petrogon Race and all the fun stuff we do. All the all the hijinks we get into and just out there having fun, inspiring the world and trying to be the next nitro funny car pilot. All right, Caleb. And then in a couple sentences, just when it comes down to it, who is Caleb Cox? What does he represent? What do you want people to remember you as? I want to want people to remember me as someone that can inspire you to show you that you can be better than you think that you can be. There you have it, Caleb Cox. Thank you so much for coming on. That was awesome. Episode number two for the Sorry for Not Apologizing podcast is a wrap. We'll see you next time, folks. And that was the show. Number two is in the wraps. Today's show was sponsored by Panuni's Pizza and Wings. Panuni's located in Brownsburg is home to the Big Noonie, the 30-inch monster pizza. Call them today at 317-286-286. 3,500. That's 317-286-3,500. I'll stop that voice. Or stop in at their location on East Main Street on US 136 and Brownsburg. And then today's show is also sponsored by McCrary's Property Management. Floors, wiring, basement, remodeling, McCrary's Property Management does it all. And that's the show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Follow me on Twitter at Tim Wells Live. Same with Instagram. Facebook, I guess, if you want to do that. Sure. Um, but that's it, guys. Listen, keep listening to the show. Subscribe. Post positive messages. Don't criticize me. That's right. Don't criticize me. All right, guys. See you next week.